Hello, welcome to NFL Unwrap, where we unwrap the hottest takes around the NFL. My name is Perry Aston, joined by Christian McGowan and Corbin Waterman. Say hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in. So, we got football back. We're excited to be back. Episode 12, so you can hear us on the Apple Podcast app or on the SoundCloud app. If you're on the Apple Podcast app, make sure to give us a review and a rating. If you're on Twitter, follow us at NFL Unwrap. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Perry Aston. Follow Christian on Twitter at McGowan75 and Corbin on Twitter at CorbinMRPK. All right, let's just jump right in. Something about last week's news, we'll start with Todd Gurley's extension. Four years, $60 million, kind of setting the market for running backs. I know Le'Veon Bell's been having a long struggle with the Pittsburgh Steelers, trying to figure out a number value for him. Moving forward, at least long term, they keep slapping the franchise tag on him, and we're not sure how much longer that's going to go on for. But at least Todd Gurley now has set that precedence for what you need to pay these kind of dual backs who are able to not just be a three down between the tackles back. Guys that can you can put them in the slot if you want to. You can definitely play them however you want to. So they're worth the money compared to guys who aren't as versatile. Uh, Le'Veon Bell's agent, they weren't able to settle on an agreement. He released a statement, Adisa Bakari. Uh, his intention was to retire as Steeler. But now there's no deal. The practical reality is this now likely will be Le'Veon's last season as a Steeler. It became clear the Steelers wanted to pay the position, not the player. And Le'Veon went to Twitter saying this was going to be his best season yet. Watch out. So if you're a fantasy owner, I'm sure taking Le'Veon is a very smart choice. He should be your number one guy anyways off the board. And now he's a pissed off Le'Veon Bell, so I'd pick him even more at this point. Let's just talk about what you guys think about the money for Gurley coming off that season last year and what that means for Le'Veon Bell. Clearly, it doesn't look like Pittsburgh is going to be where he is next year. What do you guys think? We'll start with Christian. Well, he'll stay in Pittsburgh. That's what I think is going to happen. There's just a lot of drama. He's very emotional right now. I think at the end of the day, they'll work out a number. Todd Gurley getting paid will help in those negotiations. But that's very convoluted. I'm very mad Steelers for wanting to pay the position because you need to think of them not as a running back and as a premier offensive weapon. Not a wide receiver, not a running back, an offensive weapon because that's how they've been using him. I understand the notion of not wanting to pay a running back because of the likelihood of them getting injured. I just don't see this ending with him being on any other team but the Steelers. The Steelers are nickeling and diming them, but I think this is the last concession. Next season is no further to go. There's no more they extend this. They have to pay him next season. I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think he's going to stay in Pittsburgh. I think his agent was very clear, and this has been going on for a long time. Clearly, they don't value him, and he should have been the running back that set that precedence for what Gurley should have been paid. I'm confused why Pittsburgh wouldn't value Le'Veon Bell, who's just an absolute animal but still i don't know what they're scared of moving forward with you know ben roethlisberger aging and you know that passing game is scary but at the same time Le'Veon bell is a big part of that passing game corbin what do you think about going on with this situation i think that what his agent was saying it's kind of just stuff that you say in the heat of the moment like right now they're obviously with good reason upset at pittsburgh for not giving him a long-term deal he's gonna play this year under a 14.5 million dollar salary which that's some pretty good money uh, i know that when todd Gurley signed that four-year 60 million dollar extension lady on bell had some post on i forgot what form of social media it was but something basically saying like and they said that i was crazy uh, i think that after this year pittsburgh can't just keep franchise tagging him year after year that 
salary cap hit is going to get way too high. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I think of Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell, it just feels like Le'Veon Bell is so much older than Gurley for some reason, maybe just because he's been so dominant for so long, but there's only a two-year difference between the two of them. I, the problem for the Steelers is that Le'Veon Bell, I think, was asking for long-term extension in the range of around $14 million per year, 13 or $14 million per year. Now that Gurley has this four-year $60 million, which averages out to $15 million per year, the Steelers, if they want to lock him up long-term, and again, they would be foolish not to, they're going to have to pony up probably another two or three million per year than they would have if they had just signed him this past year. But still, with all of that going on, I still think it just makes too much sense for Le'Veon Bell not to be a Steeler next year. Uh, it's just, why wouldn't they have done it by now is my question. It's not like they don't have the money and they're not waiting on any particular situation. And this is a player that you're kind of just messing around with at this point. He's not going to be happy going to the season with the organization and it's going to just start off bad. So you're going to be fighting an uphill battle the entire season if you're the organization trying to get back on his good side, trying to show that you appreciate him. I just think it's a little too late and I wouldn't be surprised to see Le'Veon Bell hit the market next offseason and break a record for you know what a running back can make. I know Gurley just set the precedence, but he's going to really shatter that number, in my opinion. You said it's only two years difference between the two, but Le'Veon, in my opinion, is a more established player, and Gurley, he has oh, been... Yeah, no he, he, he's, he's definitely more physically dominant. Yeah, it's, it's just a little bit scary for me with Gurley. I'm, God forbid he gets injured ever. Well, that's you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers and just... what they're thinking. What I think they're thinking is they don't want to put the long-term deal, so, so they keep tagging him. Running backs get injured all the time, so that's why they don't want to give him the deal. Give him another year. Yeah but, yeah, but you're talking about that. The NFL doesn't even give guaranteed money most of the time. With Le'Veon Bell, I know Gurley's had some more major injuries, but Bell's had his share of injuries. Nothing really serious, but he's had different injuries where he's missed a few games each year. I don't know. Has he even played 16 games in any season that he's been in the NFL? I'd, I'd kind of I'm be not, surprised if he has. I, I doubt it. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you guys really quickly before we move on. So Gurley had that four-year, $60 million extension. What contract do you think Bell gets next offseason, assuming he doesn't get franchise tag, whether it's with the Steelers or with another team, what do you think his contract looks like? And assuming he's healthy, obviously. Probably about four-year, I'd say about 65 to $70 million. Christian, you think right around there, too? Yeah, I think they're going to have to pay him over $15 million yeah. per year, especially if he shows out this year. No, he's going to, and that's the thing. Yeah. I know he's going to really play a hell of a season. He's pissed off now, so just like I said, if you're if you're drafting for your fantasy team and you get first overall, don't try to be silly. Don't mess that yeah, up. Exactly. Don't fumble it. All right, we'll move on to one more running back I wanted to just mention. DeMarco Murray, who has retired from the league at the age of 30 after seven NFL seasons. Uh, he was a former Offensive Player of the Year with the Dallas Cowboys. 2,000-yard rusher behind that O-line. Just loved watching him as a Cowboy fan myself. So just so long to DeMarco. wanted to just shout him out really quick. Uh, and move on to Aaron Donald and the Earl Thomas situations. Uh, so, so far, Earl Donald's not at camp. And what I read last, he's not planning to be anytime soon. So that's a situation. We'll talk about that in a second. But Earl Thomas, the Seahawks, also let him know that they are not planning to address his contract this offseason. He's made it clear. Renew my contract and extend me or trade me. So let's start with Aaron Donald. Corbin, I want you to start with this situation and what that means for the Rams and him not being there. Well, I mean, we saw it last year. I think he even sat out week one of the season last year. He ended up being the defensive player of the year. So I'm not so concerned with him 
missing snaps in preseason and missing practice reps, but the Rams have to do something because I think the difference between last year and this year is obviously Aaron Donald is another year more dominant. He has that defensive player of the year under his belt, but on top of that, they just gave a huge extension to one of their other young stars in Todd Gurley, and the Rams... They're going to eventually have to make a decision. They kind of formed this super team over the offseason with adding Marcus Peters and... And Dominican Sue and yeah, also yeah. Aki- Akeem Talib. Sam Shields. Yeah, Sam Akeem Shields. Talib, thank you. The list just um, continues to go on, Corbin, with who, yeah, they, who they added so, I mean, to this season. Eventually, defense. they're going to have to make decisions on who they want to re-sign. But Aaron Donald, you could argue he is the most dominant player, more dominant than Todd Gurley. Um, and if you're going to sign anyone, it has to be Aaron Donald. You have to figure out some long-term deal to keep him happy. There were some reports recently that I think it was uh, comments made by Les Need, the Rams GM, saying that the Rams and Aaron Donald are, quote, in the same zip code now in terms of his salary. It sounds like stuff's going in the right direction. I, my gut feeling is that I think that by the time week one rolls around, Donald's playing in week one, he has a nice long-term deal to go along with it. What do you guys think? No, I agree. Honestly, I don't see this being a problem long-term. I It's scary for Rams fans, but I don't think the Rams are too worried. That's a big player, and with all the moves they made around him, that defense is something you want to be a part of. I don't think he's going to miss any games this season. Christian, do you agree? He's the catalyst to them winning a Super Bowl, and yeah. if paying him gets him on the field, they need to open up the checkbook and pay the best defensive player in the NFL. Oh, it's I, What he makes I to agree. what he's worth, it's one of oh, the biggest crazy. crimes in professional sports. Totally, and you said the best defensive player in the NFL. I think I'd have to agree with you right now at this point. Corbin, do you agree? Is there any other player that's more dominant than Aaron Donald is right now? No, it's hard to kind of quantify a corner versus like a defensive Let me stop you there, Corbin. Charles Woodson, a corner, he's a dominant force. You know, Patrick Peterson, he's a dominant force. I think he disrupts the offense more. Different types of impact, but in terms of overall just being able to affect the entire game, yeah, I would say there's no one in the league that is able to affect an entire game and keep offensive coordinators and head coaches up at night like Aaron Donald. Yeah, and no, going back I to agree. his salary, he wasn't even like a top five, top ten pick. I think he was a mid-first-round pick, so his salary, while it's gotten better each year, it's not nearly as high as other players. But yeah, I mean, his salary is even lower than you would expect it to be just because of how dominant he was. You would think he'd be a high draft pick. I mean, some, some players develop better when they get in the NFL. And that's why in the NFL, a lot of rookie contracts get need to get renegotiated before they're completed. Odell Beckham is one of those cases. Like, he last year, he probably should have gotten a long-term deal, but the Giants, in a cost-saver move, didn't give him that extension. And that's another situation going on right now. He's still talking to the Giants about that extension, and they don't seem anywhere close to a ballpark. I know they were talking about it but the money that was floating around out there isn't anywhere close to what it's going to take to lock him down. They were talking 12 to $15 million a year, and that's not even close to what you're going to have to pay to Odell Beckham Jr. Who's an icon, and that's and that's just a shame yeah. that an icon in football has to fight for his money while in the NBA they're getting paid. But there's players yeah. that aren't even icons in the NBA making more money than Odell would be making. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that takes you to Le'Veon Bell and Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins prior to this season. It just shows what happens. It takes you forever to break at these breakout deals, but in the NBA, like Christian said, seems like money's flying around like crazy since all the new CBAs and everything like that. But let's move on to the Earl Thomas situation. He told the Seahawks, extend me or trade me. And the Seahawks said, we're not going to you know, really address your contract this offseason. So everything's kind of in flux right now. I'm going to just go out and say future cowboy Earl Thomas, considering how everything is going to be looking. You know, there was that incident where he ran over to Jason Garrett, the coach, hugged him, said, you know, pretty much I'll see you later. I'm not going to really quote anything from that. But it 
it's a serious situation because now, regardless if he's going to be going to Dallas or not, I'm kind of half joking about that, half hoping. He's not going to be a Seahawk, I'll tell you that. He's going to be somewhere else. They're going to trade him because they're going to, they know he's going to be going. They're not going to give the extension. They're going to try and suck up like a six round pick, something. You know how it's so crazy to me because there is, you know, seven rounds for the NFL draft. Players that are pretty high names when they get traded, it's crazy to see teams just pull back a fifth or a sixth round pick in return. Jarvis and, Landry. Yeah, exactly. And it's in basketball, since there's only two rounds, it seems like, you know, first and second, people value both those rounds heavily. And then you go straight undrafted. But it's crazy how NFL teams, regardless of how big name the player is or the kind of production he's putting out, sometimes you only take a fifth, sixth, or seventh round and they're happy with that. That's just how it is in the NFL. So don't expect the Seahawks to be pulling any kind of second or third round pull for him. Expect to see, you know, a fifth, sixth, or seventh rounder in return for Earl Thomas. But I don't see in any situation him staying in Seattle. Do you guys disagree whatsoever? No, I agree. I don't think that with him not extending his contract, there's no real value to it. This is the last year on it. And you're not going to get a first round pick for a guy who's already that far into his career and you have that little left on his contract so i agree with what you said perry maybe a six and a seventh round pick and you get to move on from that player and that's all the positives yeah it's just just a bad situation all around and at this point i think it's best for both bad defense bad contract bad everything just trade him to move on you don't trade him to get an equal asset that's worth what he's actually worth i mean speaking of moving on this kind of segments us to our next topic des bryant with the cowboys you know moving on from each other he's meeting with the browns and other teams starting next week he's very vocal on twitter so let's talk des bryant and the browns i tweeted on my personal page about a week ago maybe it was about five days ago that Dez is going to be a Brown it's just a matter of when and I'm going to stand by that future Brown Dez I'm going to make my bold predictions this podcast for both Thomas and Dez yeah he's going to be a Brown he's very impressed with Baker Mayfield that doesn't matter he's not going to be throwing him the ball this year regardless Tyrod Taylor I believe he went five for five with a touchdown pass last night on his one series so it's not like he's any he's issue no at all over. it's it's just the fact that your number one is looking really good right now and your number two is looking good right now so that's a situation that the Browns are willing to have very eagle-esque if I may but let's talk Dez Bryant to the Browns let's talk the fit and why it's taken Dez Bryant so long to find a destination Corbin what do you think yeah it's really pretty incredible that he still hasn't gotten a chance with any other team because it's, it's well he did with yeah, the Ravens he had that three-year deal that he had, he had turned yeah he had that three-year offer from them but he wanted more of a prove it one-year deal in hopes of getting a longer term more lucrative deal next offseason and I would I wouldn't want I wouldn't want Joe Flacco throwing me the ball either yeah no but that's what's surprising is that no team wants to even give him that one-year deal I think him on the Browns would be a really good fit for him because then all of a sudden the Browns have three really good receivers they got Josh Gordon if he Jordan, if, if he comes if he comes back correctly Let's not jump ahead too much for Josh Gordon. They mo- did move him to the did not report list instead so that he's able to still be eligible to play. But at the same time, he is still tending to his personal issues. And if so you watched episode one of ahead. Hard Knocks, all he said is, I'll see you soon, coach. Soon is not indicative of any... I think he'll uh, play this season. I just, don't oh, think, I, I just don't think he'll be playing week one is what I'm saying. Uh, I still think overall, though, do you think that he'll be at least borderline Pro Bowl level player? Yes. Uh, no, I don't think he's going to be borderline no. Pro Bowl, but I think he's still going to be a very solid contributor and a really good deep threat to have on your team. And if you put him next to players like Jarvis Landry, who is such a... He's an efficient player. He's not the long shot kind of yeah. receiver. He'll just kill you with his receptions each game. He'll put up 10 receptions a game, perfect for PPR. And he's still put up a lot of touchdowns last year, even with an atrocious Dolphins offense. So 
it shows how great he is. And if you watched Hard Knocks at all, or at least saw that clip of Jarvis Landry in the receiver room, he was not happy. And I don't know if that was directed to one player or, if that, was, or if that was necessarily just him getting fired up and showing people that I'm setting a precedence here. And if you're going to come here and not play or not come in practice, I'm going to put you on blast. I'm the new big dog in this room because he's the only one that has any sort of stardom to him. I love he's Jarvis Landry. He's done anything. I love him personally. I think he's really going to help the Browns out. And if you put Des Bryant, who is such a dominant receiver, and then you have a guy like Josh Gordon who's able to spread the field for you, that's a really good three that you have there. And we'll just jump Dude. ahead to Corey Coleman getting traded to the Bills uh, right now since we're on it. Um, well, that's so a positive. He's, he's, David, David Njoku, too, at time. Yeah, end. David Njoku, who had uh, a touchdown last night, he looked really good as well. So their receiving core there is looking really good for the Browns. And Duke Johnson, who is more of their receiving back out of the backfield, they'll have have Carlos Hyde and Chubb kind of as splitting downs between the you know first second and third but Duke Johnson is going to be a big part of their expect to see him lining up out of the slot a lot as well they have offense poised to be very good yeah no I totally agree and that just moves us straight into Baker Mayfield who really isn't going to be the main part of their offense this year who knows maybe he gets a chance I think we all can agree they put themselves in a position to kind of start him out year two or whatever maybe year three but definitely not year one it looks like Tyrod Taylor is their man so let's talk about his debut last night really was a very good debut going for two touchdowns and like we just talked about with Najoku they connected and it looked like a connection for the future so we'll stock his stat line really quick 11 for 20 212 yards and that's 11 completions on 212 yards that is very impressive 10.6 yards throw two touchdowns zero interceptions he also ran three times for 13 yards was able to show that he can extend drives with his legs i think it was once or twice that it was fourth down and about three or four and he was able to run it to the outside and skip right over the marker so baker mayfield already showed that he had poise in the pocket he was a leader his arm was there his accuracy was always something that people praised him on but the nfl has tighter windows than the ncaa for him to show yes this is preseason week one so let's not jump ahead here but he isn't going to be playing too much this year so this is the sample size that we're going to have to be working with his throws were spot on yes he did float around a 50 percent completion percentage so i'm not going to talk about that every throw was spot on but the ones that connected and this is his first game were accurate, confident. He was in the pocket, stepping up, moving around. He looked very good. He looked like a player that was going to be able to be the Browns quarterback for a long time and learn a lot from Tyrod Taylor. And what I've been hearing is that the Browns are very high on Tyrod Taylor. He's earned that team. He's was, Since he got traded, he was the first person in that building, the last person out. He controls that room. He controls the quarterback room. Baker Mayfield's taken perfectly underneath his wing, but at the same time, he is a competitor. So, of course, he is trying to get that playing time. They had that quarterback RV that Diana Rossini was reporting about. Mm-hmm. All the stupid um, big RVs, and they actually parked it at training camp. And it was just for the quarterbacks only. And it was the three of them that were in there, the three strings. So it's actually four strings. A four-string quarterback is like their jockey. Okay. And he cleans <laughs> and like fluffs the pillows. That's really funny. They had him hard knocks. He's hilarious. We'll see. He'll probably not be, not <laughs> no, be there when the season's there. Yeah, just the Browns look like a team that's poised for more success this year. And that's it's kind of hard to go down from where they were last year go, with zero wins. Very... <laughs> 
It's embarrassing. They can only do better. It's embarrassing to be a Browns fan right now and to see the improvements that they've made this offseason. It's promising, and you're excited for the first time in a very long time. I'm going to ask you both. Give me a prediction for what the Browns finish this upcoming season record-wise. Six and ten. Six and ten. What do you think, Corbin? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say six and ten. I guess, if anything, I think there's a better chance to go five and eleven than seven and nine, but they're headed in the right direction. I mean, Absolutely not. I t- I, I totally disagree with you, Corbin. With I'm going to go seven and nine. That's the number I'm going. I wouldn't even be surprised to see eight and eight, and that is a fantasy nah, story. That is a that's that's a push. That's me saying that's a push. But seven and nine seems like a number to where I'm hoping here. I want to see the Browns succeed, but at the same time, I really think people are just putting the brakes on there because of how awful they've been in past seasons. But Hugh Jackson is a very good coach, and he's finally starting to get a team that he can do something with. And clearly, the organization believes in him, or else they would have used the coach as a scapegoat like they always do in the NFL and they would have fired him and moved on to rebuilding are really all sports let, let, really let all sports ask, let me ask you guys a different question then so Hugh Jackson he's 1 in 31 the last 2 years as the Browns head coach doesn't matter fresh what, late what no but what do you think the Browns record would have to be this year for him to be fired like 0 uh, and 16 wins or less four wins or less Corbin I would say probably about four wins or less maybe yeah I would yeah, say four wins or less that too, four or less me, I would maybe three, but at this point, just like you said with his record, even though I'm going to say fresh slate, he still has years in Cleveland. So if they see sparks of greatness with some of this team and they still struggle, but they see those sparks there, they're going to, of course, turn to the coach and bring somebody else in and then probably abandon Tyrod Taylor and go straight to Baker Mayfield. And that will just be the Mayfield experiment. And we'll see how that works out. Really hope that they give him some time to develop. And although he looked amazing on the field last night, let's not jump ahead of ourselves here. That was game one of the preseason. Going against a weaker competition than you will uh, in the regular season against other teams. So we'll see about that. But let's move on to number two. The number two pick, Saquon Barkley with the Giants in his debut. Very impressive as well not all around i believe it was four carries for mid 40 yards but his first carry was a run for 40 yards that was so impressive and it was 39 yards to be exact and he had such bounce such vision such patience his tight end actually completely missed the block ingram he really screwed him on that one and literally barkley just bounced back juked out three different players was able to make a hole for himself cut it outside stiff arm at the end to add an extra three yards this stiff arm reminded me very much of Ezekiel Elliott and the breakaway speed reminded me a lot of Le'Veon and a lot of Gurley when he's at his peak health so I really see a star moving forward yes that was his one touch that was very impressive the other ones were for a for a short game but he only had four touches they don't want to risk their guy right now they know what they have in Saquon Barkley but that one run is enough to get everyone so excited for his future are you guys excited as I am because I'm I'm definitely hate the Giants as a Cowboys fan but as someone who loves the NFL as a whole he's going to seriously help that team one probably going to win the rookie of the year this year and two be just like Zeke just players of the future and like Fournette these running backs that are coming in are so impressive right now and it's so nice to see the league maybe turning back over into a running league yes it's a little bit different with having these dual running backs but still it's a running back league regardless of what they're doing and it hasn't been it's been a quarterback league Let's not stop on the fact that the quarterbacks 
are still amazing right now and especially with this draft with the top quarterbacks that got drafted but the running backs that are emerging right now and the money that's finally starting to get paid to these running backs it's looking good right now for them and at least the market and Saquon definitely is going to help this Giants team. Saquon by far is I'm most confident in him by far of any player in this draft class that he's going to be an absolute star. That first carry that he had that he had for the Giants in their first preseason game you just got to think about it. I'm even more amazed by it because you've got to think his first carry in the NFL and how amped up he is and how much he wants to just go out and prove himself and prove himself on that first run that, that sort of patience you brought up Le'Veon Bell Perry that was a complete Le'Veon Bell type run Le'Veon Very. Bell he averages the longest amount of time behind the line of scrimmage after he gets the handoff he, the patience that Saquon Barkley showed being able to find that hole after just letting it set up that way. I was so, so impressed by it. And I just think that even though his three other carries were nothing special, just that, 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 just that doesn't matter. That, glimpse, that little that spark was all that you needed. Yeah, that spark's exactly. all you need to get excited and jump on the Saquon train. It just seems now that if you identify one of these super athlete running backs in college, you should spend the pick and go get them. Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, yeah, no Todd Gurley. Exactly. I completely agree with you. Right now, just like I said, I think it's start, starting to finally become a running back league again, regardless of the type of running back. that I wouldn't know, say it's a running back league, but starting to become a couple more, of years more ago. They're, they're starting to become valued. I said more, yeah. more of a running back league, not a it will be a quarterback league, league for the next Forever. decade. But I'm just saying, it's becoming the running back position is becoming valuable again. And at yes. this point, the money is finally starting to come right for that. It's, it's becoming valuable, but not in a conventional sense. Because I think what's making running backs so valuable is that they're kind of a Swiss army knife in a sense, at least the good ones, and that they're not just running the football. You're able to split them out wide, and that's how their value becomes so much more because they're so much more than just a running back. No, yeah, I agree. no totally agree. One more rookie that he actually played today when we're recording uh friday sam darnold for the jets 13 for 18 96 yards one touchdown yes it was 5.3 yards to throw so it really wasn't the same kind of long explosive plays as baker mayfield but at the same time 13 for 18 very efficient and a touchdown zero interceptions i'm impressed i'm sure you guys are as well two rushes for eight yards so four yards of carry for his two rushes. It's not bad at all. So let's freak out and start Donald, or do we start McCown, Corbin, or Bridgewater? Uh, I I know it's probably going to be toughest for me because I'm from SC, but I think the Jets probably still start Josh McCown. Donald looked good. He didn't have some amazing game, but you also got to remember he's kind of working from behind because he was in that kind of contract dispute with the Jets for a little while, so... He showed up to camp a little bit later than all the other rookies. Um, it's going to take him a little bit while to just not so much understand the playbook, but just form chemistry with all of the Jets receivers and tight ends and know where they want the football and get their timing down right. Yeah, he looks just fine. that with all of them. So I think you start him, but especially if the Jets' season starts to kind of get away from them, then I think at some point mid-season, if not then, then by late season, Darnold will be the starter. It's a lot more likely in my eyes that Darnold becomes the starter sooner than Baker Mayfield becomes the starter. And I think you guys all have to agree on that. Well, it's with, because Tyrod Taylor's a much better quarterback than the other two options that the Jets have. Let's not forget yeah. how, the kind of quarterback that Teddy Bridgewater was before the injury. So I, that's a... He that's dislocated a big, his that's a, I'm just saying that's life. a wild card player who's shown the talent to be a very good mentor to him, at least showing... Because you know, have to imagine how much he's studied playbook 
how much he's studied tape, what a valuable asset he is on the sidelines, at least to helping Darnold's growth. Gonna say, and, and I was so going to say, of Teddy. course, in McCown, who's an absolute grandpa and still putting up numbers in the NFL, that definitely too that he should learn behind. I'd like to see him sit out for at least half the season, but it, he, definitely he's going to be starting a lot faster than Baker Mayfield is. So let's move on to preseason week one, three ACL tears. Pretty scary to be 100% honest. Colts wide receiver Deion Kane, who's kind of been a breakout player this preseason for them, uh, at least in camp. He's the, they've been really, really excited about him. Redskins running back Darius Geis, who of course everyone's excited for. Big name player, big personality. It's going to suck to see him on the sidelines this year. Big loss, even bigger loss, the fact that the Redskins got two players that tore their ACLs in that first game. Tight end Manase Gardner. Sorry, it's a pretty hard name to pronounce, but they lost two players. Redskins really got some bad luck. I saw some people on Twitter saying cancel the preseason. So stupid. Seriously. But at the same time, very unfortunate. It's great to see the players coming out strong and putting up these stats. It also sucks to see players' seasons end before they even really True. start. The Redskins' running backs are almost like the 76ers where they're you know they're always going to get injured every year. That's like the one constant in sports. Like If I could bet on the Redskins' ankles, I'd be a rich man right now. <laughs> I totally agree. Let's talk Redskins' replacement. I got a couple names I want to throw out, and I want to hear your guys' opinion on the fit. Orleans Darkwa from the Giants last year who had a successful surgery he's healthy and had actually a really good season last year. We also have Adrian Peterson, who can also be an option for them. Those are two names that kind of just float off the top of my head. Do you guys have any other thoughts for some replacements for him, or what do you think about the two names I just threw out? I think you go and get Adrian Peterson. That is a running back that suits your team's style more, and it, it just excites the fan base more. I mean, no offense, I, if I was playing Madden, yeah, I would get Drockwell in a second, but... If I own the team, I kind of want Adrian Peterson. That's going to sell a little bit more tickets, sell a little bit more jerseys, and they're definitely comparable at this stage in their careers. And remember Chris Thompson last year and Samaj P. Ryan, they both played very well when they were healthy. So I'm sure between the two of them, they will play some games this year. So it's not going to be all on Peterson or whoever they do decide to sign to fill in this role. They do have players there, but like Christian said, last year when you had a a Redskins running back on your fantasy roster, you were just asking for bad news. And I was a person that had two of them at some yeah. point. And thank you for taking Chris Thompson from me, Corbin. That's why you're almost in last place. Fantasy football. Left. I mean, they still have three proven commodities at running back in Chris Thompson, Rob Kelly, and Samaj P. Ryan. But to your guys' point, they had struggled with injuries last year. So I wouldn't be shocked if they didn't go out and sign some other running back right now. But I'd still, I'd be a little bit wary just because of the injury history that probably going to need another running back down the road. Yeah, no, they definitely probably will. Too. They're going to have to act quick as well. <laughs> So let's talk the Hall of Fame and Terrell Owens on top of the players that got inducted. He had his own reception at Chattanooga. It was definitely a weird, weird kind of vibe because he wasn't there, but at the same time, it was very T.O.-esque. He put on a speech, kind of talked crap about the NFL a bit, talked about how he should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. It just was very dramatic. I love T.O. as a player, and the fact that he didn't go to the actual ceremony, it's kind of funny, kind of cemented the fact that people always kind of have this bad aura of 
Terrell Owens, even though the fact that I heard multiple stories from players on TV and you know reports and read articles that he was a really good player on the Cowboys and great teammate. You know, of course, positions like Philly where he didn't have the best situation, but there were years in San Francisco or at least a year or two that was really good. He was a great mentor, a great teammate to young players, great in the film room. So he's a player that right now could have just went to the ceremony, put on a great speech, talked about how meaningful it is no matter when he got into Thanked the... your coaches. Yeah, no matter when he got into the Hall of Fame, the fact that he is in the Hall of Fame, surrounded by guys like Randy Moss. Think about Randy Moss and Terrell Owens' back-to-back speeches, those two receivers. That's what it's all about. And he took that away from everyone who was a Terrell Owens fan. So that's the one selfish thing that I don't like about him, no matter how much I love Terrell Owens. So I will always love Terrell Owens, and that's always how it's going to stay. He's even on your Madden cover if you're playing this year. But at the same time, selfish move in my opinion let's talk to guys who were actually at the ceremony randy moss ray lewis brian erlacher brian dawkins jerry kramer robert brazil and bobby bethard so corbin let me hear your reaction rather to the trell owens ceremony or to the list i just named for the canton ceremony so this to stuff i think we had this discussion on that might have even been our very first podcast for NFL Unwrapped, but he absolutely should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. You look at his stats across the board, he's top five in just about every major wide receiver stat category. Um, As far as him not speaking at the Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony, it is very T.O.-esque. It would have been nice to have seen him and Randy Moss speak one after the other. Those are two of the best wide receivers to ever play in the NFL. But even without T.O., this class as a whole is probably one of, if not the most stacked Hall of Fame classes that we've ever had. Yeah, no, I, I agree. About, we already talked about Randy Moss and Carroll Owen. Brian Erlacher was an unbelievable middle linebacker. I hated him in the middle of the Bears defense when he played the Packers. Ray Lewis, arguably the best middle linebacker of all time. You got Brian Dawkins, who was a very underrated safety, in my opinion. And Jerry Kramer, who, former Packer, took way too long to get him in the Hall of Fame, but I'm glad he's finally there now. Christian, what do you think about the Hall of Fame class as a whole? I agree. The most stacked class that we've had, like I said, possibly ever. T.O. not being there is just, it's sad, it's a little bit petty, but the opportunity for him to give a speech that, I mean, every single one of the people who up there gave a speech that definitely brought tears to my eyes, and then when Brian Dawkins spoke, it completely made me cry, so... I just would have liked him there in that moment. I would love to hear what he would have said in a Hall of Fame speech. Ray, Ray Lewis even almost broke a record for longest speech, and he even whipped out his own wireless mic. He put drama behind his speech. It was pretty much second behind Brett Favre's. And, or just like you said, Dawkins almost brought me to tears. So just the, um, the impact that they had on that stage. Was, and it also kind of hurts the, the people who helped you get there, the coaches, the trainers, your mother, girlfriend, wife, confidant, chief, whatever pastor who helped you get to the hall of fame during those speeches is the time that you show respect to the people who helped you get there because none of us are where we're at without our support group and i think that also is doing disservice to the people who helped you get there so to does things in his own way but as a fan who consumes the product it's just he was missed he could should have been there. One of the best receivers to ever play football. Oh, uh, yeah, undoubtedly. So, yeah, Jameis Winston is no longer with Nike after his contract now is over, especially with all the conflict and everything that's happened with Jameis Winston in his personal life and in the NFL and his injuries this last year. He no longer is, I mean, him and Mariota both who were taken in that same year with the injuries that they've had. It's just 
it, they're not as exciting to me as Dak Prescott, as Carson Wentz. Even with Carson Wentz's injury, everyone's sitting here still so excited about him. Jameis Winston can't keep himself out of trouble. He's kind of an idiot, in my opinion, whenever he talks. The fact that he's good at football is really the only thing he's got going. That's the only thing he really needs to do because he's an NFL player. But at the same time, for a leader of your organization, I'd like you to have a good head on your shoulders. I'm not a big Jameis Winston fan. As Nike, if you see an out in that contract and it's ending, get out. That's my opinion. Yeah, Jameis Winston's a good player, but he's not a good face for your brand, if you ask me. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers might need to do a little bit of checking to see if they want him to be the face of their franchise. Yeah. He he has played all right. His rookie season was pretty good, but he hasn't shown the development that you would want from your number one overall pick, especially someone that is you know on his way to getting a massive payday. So if, I think if I'm the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, maybe moving him or trying to look on past Jameis Winston is something that you should consider when one, you're not winning, and two, you have a quarterback who can't lead the team and won't be a leader off the field. It's sad. Yeah, from Nike's point of view, it's all about exposure, putting the right face out there, commercials, everything like that, and it's not like his face makes people smile. It's not like him being out there. It's, it's not like Cam Newton where he's kind of fooling around and you have to love him and you're just kind of laughing at his foolishness. It's kind of that same thing except for he doesn't have the same head on his shoulders to keep himself out of trouble or to stop himself. Or have Seems the production. Like, yeah, or have the production. And when he isn't making bad decisions, he's injured. So for someone who, like Christian, who had him on his fancy team for most of the year last year Sorry. and hurt him, you know, not a good decision to have him on that team. I wouldn't really want him leading my Buccaneers team. I definitely wouldn't want him leading my Nike team. Corbin, do you have any other thoughts about Jameis? Well, I think from Nike's point of view, they made the right decision. His contract was up and they just decided to not renew it. So it wasn't so much them taking or kind of firing him from his contract as just not picking it up. And after the three years that he's had in the NFL, both on the field and off, why would you? And the more crazy thing to me is I would have never expected when Jameis Winston was selected first overall by the Buccaneers that three years into his career, we could have a serious discussion about is he a franchise quarterback? Because I thought for sure Jameis Winston was going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the league. He had all of the traits necessary to be it. I feel like he just doesn't have the right mindset. like I think it's the just, Jamarcus Russell effect. I think it's just a player that reminds me of him. It's similar to that. I yeah. think he just he doesn't have his mind in the right place. He's always getting into trouble off the field, and it's over just such stupid little things that just time and time again you ask yourself, why would anyone, especially in the position that Jameis Winston is in, why would they ever do something like that? But he just ceases to amaze me time and time again. Like stealing crab legs from Publix? <laughs> do that? I mean, the standing <laughs> on the table and screaming what he screamed when he was at Florida State. Um, we're not going to say it on our podcast, but yes. that was horrible. Bad decision after bad stuff. decision. Just, it's just these little things that add up. And I mean, obviously, like the Uber allegation, that's a lot more serious than the other stuff. But it's you just see the progression. You're the GM of the Buccaneers. You cannot, you cannot feel good at all that that's the player that is supposed to be leading your football team going right. forward. And then you have Mike Evans taking cheap shots and getting suspended. So it's not exactly. the, the Tampa Bay. They do not look very good. To look at their culture, and that starts with your quarterback and the leader of your team. I think it starts with your coach and your general manager. I, I guess, but at the same time, coaches could be just puppets too. When you have the wrong, you know, a cancer there at quarterback, then you're not willing to get out of that. Just like Nike got out of it, you can only go so far. He's just going to plague you until you decide to move on, rebuild, or go another path. Kind of just yeah, the way it's going to go. The thing is, whether the coach is a puppet or not, we all know he's going to end up getting blamed. Like if Jameis Winston, yeah, just like I said, the NFL is the coach is the scapegoat. 
Dirk Cutter is not the head coach anymore. Well, yeah, this, the NFL makes the coach the scapegoat. That's really with every league, but especially the NFL. When things go wrong, it's straight the coach. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Football is back, episode 12, and we're very excited to be back here at NFL Unwrap. If you're listening to us on the Apple Podcast app, please go and leave us a review and a rating. If you're on SoundCloud, you can listen on there as well. You can also follow us on Twitter at NFL Unwrap. You can follow me on Twitter at Perry Aston. Follow Corbin on Twitter at CorbinMRPK and Christian on Twitter at McGowan75. Thank you guys so much, and we'll catch you guys next time.